So we're going to be in uh, Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So let's read the passage first, um, and then we'll pray. So I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, but I'll be referencing LSB and others as well throughout. So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So many of us have taken to memorize the letter of Colossians. I know the Blowers have. Um, some of the Chandler boys have. Uh, David Gray, who's not here, he's sick, um, has. And I've enjoyed memorizing the letter so much because the Lord has used it so powerfully in my life to minister to me. Um, so I'd encourage you, beer in Psalms last August, uh, Chris Jones exhorted all the men to memorize a book of the Bible. And I encourage you guys to do the same. Memorize scripture, especially entire books or letters uh, like this. Through your mem memorization, you'll be studying it. You'll be meditating on it referencing it and using it often amongst fellow believers and non-believers. It helps direct your prayer life. It causes you to exult in the Lord, um, and it has been an immense blessing to me. So Colossians is a letter Paul and Timothy wrote while he was under house arrest in Rome. You can all be seated. <laughs> Matthew Bond, you should have told everyone. You know I'm not used to this. So... Colossians is a letter Paul and Timothy wrote while he was, I, I, I guess I was going to pray after this certain section, and then I was going to tell everyone they could be seated. But I guess this section is taking longer. So, um, <laughs> Colossians is a letter Paul and Timothy wrote while he was under house arrest in Rome, on account of which I'm in prison, he says in verse 3, and remember my chains right at the end of the letter. So he also wrote during that same time Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon. It was around uh, 62 AD, probably a few years before Paul is martyred in Rome, around 64, 67 AD. So it was most likely a circular letter, meaning that it was intended to be passed on and read to the various local churches around the region in Asia Minor, namely Laodicea and Hierapolis. Uh, Paul actually never made it to Colossae himself. Most likely it was Epaphras who heard Paul's preaching of the gospel in Ephesus during Paul's third missionary journey. And then Epaphras brought this hope laid up for them in heaven, heard in the word of the truth, the gospel, to the people of his hometown in Colossae. And a local church was birthed. Praise God. Uh, I believe this section of the letter, verses two through six, that will be in today is um, its own little section of content consisting of certain final exhortations to the saints at Colossae and a, a request of prayer for Paul and his co-workers. Uh, this section of verses 2 through 6 comes right before Paul's final greetings that end the letter. The section just before are rules for Christian households, wives to husbands, 
husbands to wives, fathers to children, slaves to masters, and masters to slaves. So I think we can take this passage of chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, within its own immediate context here. So let, let, us, let us pray and ask the Lord's help. Father in heaven, we, um, we need you. Lord, as Brother Dustin said, um, your body needs to be fed and heard uh, and hear the word, Lord, the bread of life, um, your son, Jesus. God, we, um, we ask that you would bear fruit during this time. Lord, help, help the children, help my children and all the, all the young ones here to pay attention, to be alert. Lord, let them have ears to hear. Father, I ask that you would use this time and use these words that you wrote through Paul while he was in prison to minister greatly to us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I want to come away with this morning um, is this. Evangelism must start on our knees in steadfast and watchful prayer. And we must declare the gospel authoritatively as ambassadors of Christ as we walk in wisdom toward those outside the covenant, giving careful thought to our conduct and our speech. So, or a more simplified version of this would be pray, watch, declare with gracious speech. So pray, watch, and declare with gracious speech. So it opens up in the ESV translated, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, the phrase continue steadfastly is actually one week, one word in the Greek. It's a prosuke, to be earnest towards, to persevere, be constantly diligent, to give oneself to. Uh, the Legacy Standard Bible and a bunch of other translations translate it as uh, devote yourselves to or be devoted to prayer. So in the Greek, this is an imperative in the active voice, present tense. So, so it's a command spoken to the reader, which represents the subject as the doer or the performer of the action. So saints, we must be constantly diligent with our prayers, giving ourselves to it. Any good work that we resolve to do or any desire we have must start on our knees. We must not go ahead with our living without first being desperately dependent on our Father in prayer. Proverbs 3.5 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Brethren, are we acknowledging God in all our ways? I'm not. Lord, help us in this. Help us to do this. We live so much of our life without respect to God, our Father. Let it not be so. The parallel passage in Ephesians 6.18, you guys can turn there. Um, I find it needful to always interpret Scripture with Scripture. So Ephesians 6.18, again, it was another letter that Paul wrote, maybe kind of in the same sitting in, in, under house arrest in Rome. Uh, he wrote, chapter 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert 
with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is important to remember. We do not pray on our own accord or of our own accord. We do not pray out of our own human effort. We are to pray at all times in the spirit. So now, if you don't mind, turn over to Romans 8, verse 26. And it says there, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us. Hallelujah. We, the, the pressure, because young ones, children, sometimes you don't feel confident in what you can, actually you guys do feel pretty confident. We've seen it on Wednesday. Um, but sometimes you feel, I don't, I don't have the confidence. I don't know what to pray. Well, yeah, that's what Paul says. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. We, we need to be reliant and desperately dependent on the spirit of God. So we, we, we in our own human effort, can muster up all the type of words we want, but it must be the Holy Spirit uh, generating that prayer. So this is how desperate we need to be before our God. We need to be desperately dependent on him to even pray, to even come to him. I praise God for his spirit that prompts us to pray, intercedes for us to the Father in our prayers, and helps us in our weakness. Oh, it's in my backpack. Uh, Nick... (laughs) Nick was so awesome the other day. He, I've been looking for another study Bible. I have the ESV study Bible, but I've been looking for another one just to complement it. And he actually gave me this awesome Holman Christian Standard Bible study Bible. And it's got beautiful color maps and different stuff in there. And there was an awesome note in there that's in my backpack. Um, so I can't read it. So if you want more of that, you'll have to come up to me afterwards and I'll share it with you. So... Well, look, that cut out maybe two minutes of the sermon. There we go. (laughs) Continue steadfastly in prayer. So it says being watchful in it. Oh, look at this. All right, so now we're going to be late for lunch. (laughs) Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 618. It's in the context of the armor of God at at the very end of that. It says... um, to pray and yeah look at this each piece of armor must carefully be put on with prayer drawing upon divine resources this prayer is spirit energized spirit enabled and spirit directed praying in the spirit is an admission of a believer's ignorance and dependence on God so praise praise the Lord that's awesome Thank you, Nick. So being watchful in it. So I I believe there are two aspects to this watchfulness. Uh, The primary sense of this word, gregaruntes, means in its most natural sense to keep awake or to watch or to give strict attention to, be cautious, be active. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane. To tell Peter, James, and John, remain here and watch with me. The second sense I believe we can get from this word here, in the direct context of verses 2 through 6, is that of giving strict attention to what God is doing as a result of our praying, of our prayers. 
So you pray and then you watch. You pray and you actively are looking for how God will answer that prayer. I love how Dustin, just when he was praying, he, he pr- we prayed on Wednesday that the, that the Lord would grant safe travels for the elders in Chad. And then he's now <laughs> watching and acknowledged like, Lord, you answered that prayer. I think sometimes we forget the other end of it. Let's see what the Lord is actually doing and how he's answering these prayers. Uh, so, so you give strict attention to how the Lord will answer what the Lord is doing. Uh, Paul then asks for the saints at Colossae to pray for them. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So real quick, I just want to go back to that Ephesians verse here. So Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. You know, be watchful, as Colossians says. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, talking to several of you this past week, a lot of you said that what you struggle with when it comes to evangelism is a fear of man. And I think a lot of us struggle in that um, or, or not knowing what, what or how to say it. But there's good news. The Lord will go before you and he will be your strength and prompting. He will be your voice. You need only to continue steadfastly in prayer. Just like we were, we were looking at in, in Romans, how we need to be so desperately dependent on God to even pray. Well, same thing. With every single part of the Christian life to evangelize, we need to be so desperately dependent. If we're relying on our own abilities or skills, that's not trusting in the Lord. So, uh, yeah, we're not relying on our own skill or our way with words or our boldness. I think um, it was Apollos uh, was like fairly eloquent with his words, and Paul it seems like maybe wasn't as eloquent. But look at the fruit that Paul had out of what God was doing through his life. So it's not about our skill, our eloquence. Um, What we need to rely on is the spirit of God to go before us and open to us a door for the word. I'd say this, if you're relying on your own strength or your own abilities, your own understanding, then yeah, you should be fearful. But I admonish you all, stop placing any confidence in yourself and be desperately dependent on God for this. Now, we don't know precisely what Paul had in mind when he wrote that phrase, that God may open to us a door for the word. Uh, Was he referring to a specific door to be opened? Uh, Maybe um, he was thinking of God to make a way for him to go to Spain to preach the gospel there. Maybe he's writing this letter again, under house arrest in Rome, and he's staring at a a large wooden door locked shut with a Roman guard standing in front of it. And he wants an open door to get out. 
Either way, I think we can draw out a needful principle here for us. Uh, we need the Lord to open doors for us to declare the word. It must be the Lord opening up opportunities for the ministry of his gospel. If it's not the Lord going before us and opening these doors, uh, we are like a builder who builds the house in vain because the Lord isn't building it. I was just talking to Brother Wendell this morning. Uh, he's such an encouragement, <laughs> so, so encouraging. He, he's been doing Uber for well, the past like year, more now. And I mean, the brother is so faithful uh, to preach the gospel. And I mean, he, he must have ha- preached the gospel to over a thousand people over this past year doing Uber. He, he is so alert and watchful, but he doesn't, I was asking him, I was like, so do you, when, when, a, when a passenger comes into your vehicle, are you like set on it? Like, I'm going to, I'm preaching the gospel. And he said, no. He said, not every single time. He, he uses the spirit's discernment in him to sense, is there going to be a conversation happening here? I mean, sometimes they just put in their ear pods and there's no open door there, but he, He's sensitive to the leading of the spirit, and so, so do we. We have to let the Lord go before us. Uh, I, I used to knock down doors and force my way into conversations, and it just came off awkward. Not to say that uh, because it's awkward that it's not of the Lord, but um, you, you can sense whether it's in your flesh, in your own human effort, that you're trying to do something. Uh, Now, some evangelists can put an unbiblical burden and pressure on people to walk up to strangers and start preaching the gospel to them. So while the Lord may prompt a believer to do this, uh, this is not normative in Scripture. God has made us relational beings. It's far better for the Lord to create a context for us to then declare the mystery of Christ. So I'll give you a recent example. Tiana and I, this past Wednesday, she had her midwife appointment, and we went right afterwards to a coffee shop in Knoxville. It was at K-Brew on Broadway. And um, it would have been quite awkward and probably ineffective if I just resolved in my mind upon entering the coffee shop to just pick a random person. I'm like, I'm going to preach the gospel to that person. <laughs> um, but, and I, and, I, and I have done this in the past. However, earlier that morning, I was in prayer asking the Lord to open a door for the word today. God, give opportunity to proclaim the beauty and glory of your son, Jesus Christ, to someone. And then God, in his grace, chose to have a young lady who was sitting at the table beside us with her two-year-old son ask us about the conversation we were having about Samaritan's health-sharing ministries. Uh, My watchful and alert mind went back to my morning prayers and said, okay, Lord, you... Open this door of opportunity here with this young mother. It's go time. (laughs) I then started talking to her about what part of Knoxville she lived in, what church she was part of, uh, what the Lord has been doing in our life with church. Testify to the Lord's goodness and grace in changing our hearts with regard to how we view children. Uh, Tiana and I didn't have any desire to have children when we first got married. I started quoting scripture to her all over the place. Uh, Tiana ended up exchanging phone numbers with the young mom, and there we go. We're, we're taking advantage of opportunities that the Lord has created. So, I mean, often in my Christian life, 
I thought I needed to kick down doors to declare the gospel, but the Lord has taught me to depend on his leading as he opens up opportunities. Again, I'm not saying it's sinful to go up to random people and try to tell them about Jesus. What I am saying that is if we are devoted to prayer, continuing steadfastly in prayer for God to open a door for the word each day, he will. I'm telling you, God has been so faithful to create opportunities all the time to proclaim Christ. So be devoted to prayer, asking God to open a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, and then watch. Watch what he's doing. So watch what uh, the Lord may be doing in people's lives that day. Watch for opportunities that he gives. Now, as far as declaring the mystery of Christ, uh, this is the essence of what evangelism is. And this is where our modern-day Christianity has missed the mark, I think. Evangelism is preaching, declaring, proclaiming, imploring. So 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the type of declaring and proclaiming we need to be doing. Saints, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are his sent representatives going on his authority. And we command sinners to be reconciled to God because he has ownership rights on you. He is the king. He is God. Christ isn't an option to consider. He's the king of kings who will judge the earth in righteousness and will let his wrath loose on those who remain in rebellion to him. We need to call sinners to repent and turn to Christ, their only hope in life and death. Many times in our modern Christian culture, we think of evangelism uh, more so as a conversation, a dialogue. We have to get to know them and listen to them, understand their story, understand their background. So I think these are amazing thoughts things that we all need to be striving after with our neighbors. However, it's not technically what evangelism is. So we get the word evangelize, uh, it's a verb, from the Greek euangelizo. The majority of the time in the New Testament, it's translated in our English Bibles as preach or bring good tidings or declare glad tidings. So evangelism is not really much of a conversation. It's more like a town crier heralding news or a decree from the king. Again, it's an authoritative form of speaking. This is such an important truth we must remember, brethren. When we are preaching the good news, we are declaring to them that Christ is king with authority. We are proclaiming to them the excellencies of Christ with authority. We are heralding news, good news, that Christ has suffered and died and rose from the grave, defeated death, Defeated sin, sin, he disarmed all rule and authority and has put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Do not forget that you are Christ's ambassadors, telling people this news and then calling them to be reconciled to God. Sinners, non-believers, they need to hear this message brought to them with authority. I think it was the very end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, and they were like so amazed because this Christ, this Jesus was speaking with authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. We have Christ. 
We literally have Christ in us. And, and, and that authority that he gives, again, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. They need to, they need to realize that. When we're, when we're talking to non-believers, sinners, they need to feel this authority coming to them. Uh, we're often too timid or cautious or fearful of man. But remember, you're a child of the king. Act like it. Speak like it. The concept of uh, friendship evangelism, I think, is foreign to the New Testament. We are not to be friends with the enemies of our king. On the contrary, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So this Jesus was a friend of sinners is out of context nonsense. What does it say in that passage? It says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? Was Jesus a drunkard? Was Jesus a glutton? No. These are what the wicked were saying about Christ to ridicule him. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself as an enemy of God. So I'm not saying we're not to build relationships with non-believers. We are absolutely to seek relationships with sinners. I'm not saying we're not to welcome them into our homes and show hospitality to them and seek deeper relationships and connections with them. But we must not forget our place and role in their lives. We are ambassadors of Christ unto them. We must not forget the type of language God's word uses regarding our responsibility in communicating to non-believers. Words like declare, proclaim, herald, preach. This type of declaring and proclaiming and heralding and preaching can and should be done within conversations with non-believers, dialogue with neighbors, strategic relationships with the lost. Let us not lose this mindset in our approach toward outsiders. We will also see later here that the kind of declaring and proclaiming needs to be done with grace. But let us remember, these are enemies of the cross, guilty of being in rebellion to the one who made them. John says, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Anyone who's not been born again, but remains in rebellion will end up in the lake of fire and be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is God's just and righteous wrath on them. They truly deserve God's wrath. They are the wicked. They are evil. They are enemies of God. God haters. They are an abomination to him. Whether we share the gospel with them or not, they are still all these things. They will end up in hell, rightly so. Yes, there are varying levels of guilt the wicked have. Jesus said the Pharisees are guilty of a greater sin. 
Nevertheless, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People don't go to hell because we failed to share the gospel with them. They go to hell because they hate God and they died in their rebellion and sin. This leads to another very important truth about evangelism. What's the purpose of it or what's the goal of it? So the goal of evangelism is not primarily to convert the lost. It's not to win souls. The goal of evangelism is to bring glory to God. Whether an enemy of Christ repents and turns to Christ or not, if the evangelist faithfully proclaims Christ, that is a success. God will be glorified in his saving a soul, and God will be glorified in his just wrath upon their unrepentant sinner. God's word does not return void. It always serves his purposes. Either it will be a fragrance of life or of death. Either way, God's will is done. God is glorified. Then Paul goes on in his prayer request asking uh, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Here, Paul is asking the saints to pray for the declaration of the mystery of Christ to be made clear, which in the Greek means to make manifest or uncover, realized, to be plainly recognized. The word mystery carries the meaning of something hidden or not obvious to the understanding. Paul's duty, his necessity, is to make this mystery known, unveil it. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So walk, or peripateo in the Greek, denotes how one lives, how one conducts themselves. The way we live and conduct ourselves among outsiders, people outside the covenant of God, needs to be done with the utmost wisdom. Paul writes to the Ephesians in, chapters, in chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Saints, let us live with care. The word translated carefully in Ephesians, uh, akrabos, carries a sense of walking or living exactly or accurately. In our home, we call it, we call it bad form if someone is sloppy or being unaware of the situation. Steve, good form. We need to be aware of what God is doing as we walk along the road, visit our library, eat at the restaurant, sit at the park. Daniel Wright, he's downstairs right now protecting us. Uh, Daniel Wright spoke on the topic of self-defense about a year ago during one of our beer and psalms. He explained that there are different levels of awareness one has at different times. Uh, code white, it's a color-coded system. Code white is when you are completely oblivious to what is happening around you. And when it comes to evangelism, I'm afraid that's where most Christians live in. We aren't praying for opportunities for God to open to us doors to declare the mystery of Christ. But the good news is that we could repent. We can repent and be devoted to prayer in this. Praise God. Code yellow is when you have a form of awareness and you would not be caught off guard if something actually happened. You would be ready to act or react in the right way. Orange, 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 
orange is when orange is when the situation has escalated now. You've noticed something actually happening. Red is when you are now addressing the threat. The situation has moved from something that was possible to an actual threat. And black is when you're actually engaged in the altercation itself. We as believers walking in wisdom toward outsiders must be in cold yellow at all times, having a form of awareness, alertness, being ready, being watchful. I encourage you to open your day with a time of prayer, seeking the Lord in his word, asking him to open a door for the word to be proclaimed, even asking him to give you words to say in a particular situation that you know that you'll be in that day. Then live in cold yellow. Be equipped with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, memorize scripture. Have that sword in you at all times. My brother Daniel made a great point uh, when I was talking with him the other day about this. Uh, He said, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, We not only need to be walking carefully in wisdom to see what the Lord might be doing, but we also need to be alert to what the enemy might be doing. We need to stand firm in the armor of God, putting on Christ at all times. Brothers and sisters, I exhort you all, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk with care and accuracy. I was telling him, um, when I carry, when I wear my gun on me, um, I'm more alert. I'm more focused. I'm more vigilant because I have this weapon on me. And um, I'm more living in that code yellow because typically I'm living in white. <laughs> I just am oblivious. Um, but, but when we have the weapon of the sword of the spirit in us, right? When we're praying in the spirit, uh, continuing steadfastly, being devoted to prayer, we have like this weapon on us. We're, we're good. We're going to tend to be more alert, more watchful, more cautious of what's going on. What is the Lord doing? What's the Lord doing with this cashier over here? What's the Lord doing with my barber that's cutting my hair? What is the enemy trying to tempt me in? I'm going to stay out of that. So walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time, he then says. In the ESV, it's translated, making the best use of the time. Uh, So that phrase is more literally redeeming the time. Exagrazo is the Greek word for redeem. I know you guys can hold the compliments of my Greek pronunciation until later. Uh, One helpful biblical definition of this word is to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make the time our own. I just want to read that again because I know it's a lot of words um, and it was hard for me to grasp it when I was reading it. But so to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make the time our own. So reflecting back on the Old Testament and the use of that word redeem and redemption, it was the duty of a man's redeemer, usually his next of kin, to buy back the freedom that he had lost. Uh, one example, of it, like through a debt. 
An example of such redemption is found in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 47 and 49, where an Israelite who has had to sell himself into slavery because of poverty may be redeemed by a kinsman or by himself. Property sold under similar conditions could likewise be redeemed, thus keeping it within the family. So it's the sense of uh, buying something out of the marketplace, purchasing something out of the marketplace. Uh, the greatest sense of the word redeem is Jesus purchasing for himself a people by the payment of his blood. He created us. He owned us, but we gave ourselves up to sin as slaves. Christ has purchased us out of slavery to sin and has made us slaves to God, slaves to righteousness. Christ has, uh, I'm sorry, pray, saints, that the Lord would be gracious to give us the attitude of redeeming the time. Let us make the best use of the time. And then the ESV goes on to, to say, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Or the LSB says, let your words, instead of speech, words, it's, it's uh, lagas is the Greek word there. Let your words always be with grace, uh, charis, seasoned with salt. So part of walking in wisdom uh, toward outsiders would absolutely include having our speech our words be full of grace. I think uh, I was thinking of Daniel Veramontes actually with this. Um, he's, he's just got this calm about him. And I've been out with him at, you know, clinch in the past with, at the murder mill. And, you know, people will be all upset and angry, but he's got like this calm. His, his words, his speech is just seasoned with grace. And it's encouraging to see that. Um, he knows how to answer each person because of that. So um, grace, or, or let your speech always be gracious, uh, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, in light of God's grace and mercy shown to us who have, made, who, who have been made new in Christ, how can our words and speech not overflow to others with grace? Paul tells the Ephesians to let no corrupting talk. Again, that word talk in Ephesians is lagos, the same word here in this passage. Um, so let no corrupting talk, no, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Remember, walking accurately, fitting the occasion. That it may give grace, gracious speech to those who hear. I also think of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And the Lord has been convicting me of this for myself and for my family. We need to have our speech transformed. So much corrupting, unwholesome talk comes out of our mouths. Whether it be foolish talk, harsh words with no aim to build anyone up, Rude words, words that flow out of impatience. So children, young people, we have to pay very close attention to how we speak to one another. Like after service and you're hanging out with all your buddies and your friends, pay careful attention to how you guys are talking to one another. Okay? You, you guys, a lot of you guys have been up here and baptized and, and you profess Christ. 
we need to display the gospel of Christ in the way we talk. So the words that come out of your mouth, are they good for building the other person up? Think about that. Think about, give thought when you're speaking. What am I about to say? Is this going to be building that person up? Are they words that fit the occasion? If you find that your speech consists of folly too often, joking too often, rude too often, then start here. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, as James says. So quick to hear, slow to speak. Pray for the Lord of mercy to bring transformation to your speech. Be diligent in this, saints. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. Wives, are you careful with your speech to your husband and children? Is your speech gracious with your children when they're disobedient for the 35th time of the day? Is your speech to your husband gracious when you say or when he says something that you didn't like or was sinning in laziness the other day? Fathers is the way you talk to your children, self-controlled and full of grace. The Lord has given me a lot of progress and sanctification in this, um, but there's still a long way to go for me. Or were your words provoking and discouraging to them with their lack of, when their lack of obedience embarrassed you in front of one of the other guys? Children, young people... How has your speech been to your brothers and sisters? Impatient? Rude? Paul is telling us to let our speech be gracious toward outsiders here in the context. How much more to our own spouses, to our own brothers and our own sisters? Let us repent and look to Christ to grant us grace in our words to one another. Our speech is to be gracious, yes, and seasoned with salt. Salt is meant to preserve and make food palatable to the taste. Salt will bring out the true flavor of the food. Our words are to be full of grace and truth, exuding the gospel of Christ. The graciousness of our speech, when seasoned with salt, will give outsiders a truer taste of Christ, whether unto death or to life. Nevertheless, our words and conversation must be so there can't be any accusation of sin against us. We must be blameless in the way we talk. Stern words can still be gracious words seasoned with salt. It is loving and gracious to call sinners to turn from their wicked ways and kiss the sun. It is a loving and gracious thing to warn unbelievers. In Colossians 1, Paul says, warning everyone. Warn unbelievers. Caution them. Reprove and exhort them in the way of righteousness. We don't need to twist Paul's words here to promote a soft gospel that is absent of any type of repentance. We don't need any more winsome words that tickle sinners' ears and sends them to hell. Let us be blameless in our speech, using our words accurately and thoughtfully so that we might know how we ought to answer each person. So with regards to that last phrase there, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, God has ordained this truth. Our gracious speech 
seasoned with salt, will lead to us knowing how we ought to answer each person. To put it the other way, our lack of gracious words will hinder our ability to answer each person. It will hinder our defense. It will hinder our witness. Let us not lean on our own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all our heart. When we were playing basketball just two nights ago, me, Al, and David Bird, uh, afterwards, we were watchful. We were alert. I know I had prayed earlier that morning for the Lord to give opportunity. I know Al probably didn't. Just kidding. <laughs> David probably did. Um, <laughs> and, and we were like, okay, these guys, these young ones here, uh, like 17, 18, 16-year-old, I feel like they would have a conversation with us. And, um, man, the Lord brought such an opportunity. I mean, we were out in, like, that uh, foyer area of the recreation center, the community center in Clinton, and they were just staying there, remaining there, like, having conversation, and it was, it was like, just an opportunity to, like, declare. And, and the Lord used... Words from me, words from David, words from Al. Um, I mean, it was a beautiful thing. And there was some confession happening there from some of these, these guys. Uh, there was further conversation. They, we, we ended up getting kicked out, and it was, like, pretty cold outside. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to be over now. They kept staying there. We kept on talking. Um, so the Lord is mighty and powerful. He, he creates opportunities. He draws people. He uh, is working Always. So I want to exhort everyone here, be, be, be praying. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be devoted to it. And then specifically for God to open up doors, like Paul is asking. Doors of, of opportunity to, de to declare the mystery of Christ. So I conclude um, reminding you again, evangelism must start on our knees in steadfast and watchful prayer, and we must declare the gospel authoritatively as ambassadors of Christ as we walk in wisdom toward those outside the covenant, giving careful thought to our conduct and our speech. Again, pray, watch, declare with gracious speech. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I uh, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. For using Paul, I, I thank you for his imprisonment. Uh, we don't, uh, perhaps he would not have written these letters if he had not been imprisoned. But you are the sovereign Lord, and you ordain everything. And you ordain imprisonments. And you ordain and decree his writing, his thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for these final greetings, these final exhortations in his letter to the saints at Colossae. Lord, thank you for preserving them, preserving these letters so that we can have use of them today and that we can be exhorted by them and encouraged by them, convicted by them. Lord, be gracious to us. Lord, we don't want to hear these type of messages and words and then go on just like normal. We don't want to 
be hearers of the word only and not doers. So, Father, help us. Help the children here. Help the young people. Help the men. Help the women. Let us be doers of the word. Let us seek to live out what you have commanded us, what you are exhorting us to do, Lord. We need to be desperately dependent on you to even come to you in prayer. Lord, would you prompt us, prompt us in the morning to wake up, prompt us in the morning to pray, prompt us in the morning to go to your word and hear from you and see you. Open our eyes. Lord, open the eyes of of those who have recently been baptized to be in your word and, and show them wondrous things in your law. Lord, I ask that today, during fellowship meal time and the rest of the afternoon, that you would let our words and our speech be gracious toward one another. And Lord, this week, as there's commission meetings and city council meetings and hair appointments and groceries at Costco, Costco to buy, that you would open up doors of opportunity for us to declare this mystery of Christ. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.